Hey guys, Tucker here, co-host of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let you know that we're currently looking for more projects. So for any of you guys that listen to the show that may be an agent or otherwise that have a property that you're looking to sell, we'd love to hear from you. Obviously, we're looking to purchase properties that are maybe not best suited for the retail market or maybe they need to be redeveloped. So we do renovations and we do new construction so we could buy an existing home that maybe it smells like cigarette smoke, maybe it hasn't been updated in decades, maybe it's got some fun functional issues, some problems like that, or maybe it's just in an area that is best suited to take the house down, partition the lot, maybe build a couple new homes, or just build one new home in its place, and anything in between. So if you guys out there in Listenerland have anything that would be best suited selling to a development company like ours, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com, and when you go there, there's a contact us tab. Click on that, and you can send us a message, and we'll get back to you shortly thereafter. We'd love to hear from any of you guys out there that have a property like this, and hopefully we we can do a deal together. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody out there in listener land, we are back. This is episode 95 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We're back with another great show. We've got our co-host to our co-host with us. But before we introduce him, I want to welcome my number one co-host, Mr. Steve Nassar. What's up, Steve-o? Hey, Tucker. Glad to be back on the show. The weather is good. The blazers are good. Life is good, right? <laughs> I would venture to say the biggest shot in Blazer history we all witnessed last week. My gosh. From the logo, right? From the logo. And 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 Paul George's uh did you catch the press conference? That was a bad shot. That was a yeah. bad shot. Yeah. And and bad because uh, it went in. Yeah, right. <laughs> and and Damien waved goodbye right afterwards. That was classic. That was yeah. Uh, I just about woke my kids up screaming, and uh, I think everybody that was watching the game texted me at one point or another, and that was like Blazer fans unite. I don't think I've ever uh, had a moment like that before, so that was pretty cool. It was pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome. You, if you went on social media right afterwards, just in, and I like what you just said, because you know, in a, in a world where social media can be so divided and so opinionated. It was cool to see you know, people, at least from our area, which is most of our friends, I think, for most of us, just like you said, united. It's pretty hard and few and far between where somebody hates the Blazers vocally in our area. And, and it was just to see, gosh, the Blazers have been through hell and back. I think we can all agree with that. Down to the literal fact that here and now, as we sit here doing this podcast, we do not have an alive owner technically, right? I mean, who is, is our owner? PC, is I that the PC way to put it? We don't have an alive owner. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, somebody technically owns us or owns the Blazers. I'll, I'll say it that way. But do we know if they've ever been involved in any decision making? I mean, so so we're kind know. of an orphan. Yeah. And true. that's not even the worst thing that's happened to us in the last, you know, 10 years. And maybe even if you wanted to go further back to the Jordan draft era and Sam Bowie, you could go further back. But so it's it's nice to see the Blazers 
doing not only incredibly well, but they're, you know, throwing out some stuff that almost has you thinking, you know, hey, the, Damien hit 50 points. That's never happened, even in the Drexler era, even in the Brandon Roy era. So maybe this is a good I want to know but... when Canzano uh, is going to get shit canned. He wrote an article about how we were going to lose that series. And he's from Portland right before the series started. Wow. I read it because I wanted, I know most people think he's a blowhard but i read that and i was like why would you put that article out right before uh you know on the heels of last year's playoffs you're gonna write that like seriously but then again he, he got watched, he got my eyeballs on it so that's probably what he's trying to do so. did you watch game seven between the uh spurs speaking of san antonio i, and I bet i bet our guest did too yeah. hey joe joe fastolo i don't even yes. know if we've introduced you hi <laughs> hi hey guys were you in San Antonio for the uh, Spurs game, Game Seven? Did you go? I I was doing the River Walk, and it, that's when I said it was also Fiesta, and yeah. it was going nuts. It was like a mob. People were driving and honking their horns, and it was just like nonstop horns honk, honking. People getting all excited, and uh, we went in, had dinner, a couple drinks, and then got the hell out of there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And to our listeners, by the way, we were talking a little b- before we were on the air. San Antonio, interesting town, but the Riverwalk is the coolest, probably one of the coolest things in Texas. It's basically this canal in this portion of the city that is just perfectly manicured, perfectly picturesque, sort of like a Disneyland ride, like a s- small world after all. I mean, it's just like everything is perfect it's it's really cool shops bars restaurants hotels really really cool so so you're saying it's not like the stroll down the willamette river on uh, whatever that corridor bike path is huh (laughs) um no you know what it's like tucker when you're on lake oswego and you kind of are heading over towards when you're heading through those little tiny waterways heading over towards where the restaurants and shops are on the north downtown Uh, area yes where the cougar bar is yeah, it's kind of <laughs> almost that picturesque, but there's envision shops and everything around you okay. everywhere. Yeah. Pretty cool. Uh, I've seen pictures. It looks like a really cool place. So, so anyways, we should probably get into our show. We've yeah. we've got long enough. Up. Blazers are Blazers are good. Weather's good. Joe's back. We're happy to have you, Joe. You're our favorite guest. Thank you. Let's talk about some masters in real estate. So we've got some topics here. There was some great stuff here. I honestly didn't even have to go much beyond 30 days to get some great content. A lot of good things happened in April. So let's kick it off. David Long, April 9th, posted this. Do you think realtors in the Portland Metro should wear suits? I'm from LA and I feel I would wear one if I lived there, but here I don't. One of you guys want to kick off on that one? Tucker, you wear a suit every day to work, don't you? <laughs> I'll, uh, I mean, my opinion really doesn't matter, but I'll give it anyway. You know, remember back in the day when we started in the in the mortgage business, Stephen? It was uh, at that rather questionable place that will remain nameless. But uh, <laughs> everybody there wore uh, suits or, you know, at least partly uh, every day. And I think part of it was just to mask the fact that most of them were felons. But uh, on top of that, (laughs) it it made you look pretty slick, right? And um, I remember after dressing up for however long it is that I worked there, I I left there and I was like, you know, I don't think I really want to dress like this every day anymore. And uh, I don't know that it really correlates to more income. And I've come to conclude that it definitely doesn't. But 
the caveat is is that some people really enjoy it. And so I think it's really just a personal brand thing and kind of if it, you know, fits you and your business, then, you know, all the power to you. But I don't think it's a prerequisite to be successful, especially in this town. And that's my opinion. Sure. Joe, what are, what are your thoughts? You know, it's funny. So I should first explain I went to San Antonio for a week. I just got back uh, this morning for a big real estate uh, deal. And I asked this very same question. I hadn't seen it on Masters. I hadn't read any of the comments. And I said, you know, in your opinion, how important is suiting up? And it was kind of unanimous that you can never really overdress, but you can definitely underdress. And especially if you're going to the office and a newscast person calls and says, hey, man, I need uh, I need someone for a five minute interview or you need a couple blips. You're always fine in a suit. Not always fine if, you know, you're in your Borat bathing suit and flip flops. So um, me liking to be casual a lot, I'm probably going to step up my game and wear a little more suits than I usually have. What's a Borat swimsuit? <laughs> you know, you saw that, didn't you? I love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Much- what, um, so of all the realtors that you talked, were there a lot of them that did dress up or I guess dressed more formal on a regular occasion? Did they a lot think- of them do um, because there are a lot of company owners there um, as well as realtors. And it's sort of like, hey, look, if you're wearing a suit and you get an expensive good suit that that's tailored to you, it's sort of like pajamas, right? Um, you wear a nice suit, you're comfortable, you're prepared for basically anything. When I suit up and it's summertime, I throw what I call a shacker bag in the back of my car. If we're going to go water skiing or something and I'm in a suit, I have shorts, bathing suit, flip-flops, t-shirt, polo shirt for you know all occasions. So, However... I will not suit up for rural property because you're just going to freak them out. If the guy's a farmer and some, you know, some suit shows up in his fancy car and in that scenario, I'm going to dress a little more casual and dress to the audience. What would you say of all the listing appointments you've gone on in the past year, percentage wise, how many times have you put a suit on versus just business casual? Uh, very few. I would okay. say out of like 40 i've worn a suit like five times okay what would be the defining difference is it the price point joe it's really if it matters to them then it matters right if me showing up not in a suit matters to them then it's that's a 911 call i mean it is extremely important i need to be in a suit you know know that though they're looking at they're looking at me like i'm not prepared i'm showing up but look, I've been doing this forever. So when people call me, it's like, hey, man, we need you to sell our big monster house and we want to get a one level house now. They don't care what I show up in. Yeah. And, and, that, and I get that. Are you, so are you saying anytime you're competing, you do wear a suit? Nope. How do you know if they are someone who appreciates a suit? Is it a, a, a gut thing? It's, well, we have quite a few phone calls and emails and, you know, some face-to-face stuff. 
so I get a pretty good idea of of you kind of gauge the personality. Gotcha. Do you or think like, that could ever go the other way? Do you think if by wearing a suit it looks like you could be trying too hard? I think so. So the the joke at our office is we have like four people that have brand new limited Jeep, you know, Cherokees or or whatever. Because it says, hey, I'm successful, I have a nice car, but I'm not so successful that I'm gouging people with my commission and, <laughs> you know. That should be a bumper sticker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you want a nice car, but you show up in this this $100,000 car and people are looking at you like, oh my God, how much do I have to pay this guy to sell my house? But you're also not pulling up in, you know, a 1980s Vega. So there's there's a middle of the road. Yeah. But you got to think about it, you know, someone selling their largest material asset or when it comes to health, you're talking to a doctor. Sometimes you just kind of want to see someone dressed really professional for serious stuff. Yeah. And if, and if it's important, then that should be the day you don't take a day off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, random question for you, Joe. Have you ever have you ever gone to a listing and had shit kickers with you and a rural listing and you you bust them out and wear them? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's those are the fun ones. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> okay, well let me let me jump in here. I don't wear suits to listings. In the last year, you you know, of all my listing appointments I've been to, I haven't worn a suit once. I mean, I've had some decent listing, higher end listings. And I'm not saying that's right. It's just how I think I'm more comfortable. Now, I want to be clear, every one of my listing appointments, I wear suit pants. So oftentimes I am wearing half of a suit just not the coat and tie. And then I'm wearing the dress up shirt, just unbuttoned the top two buttons unbuttoned. That's kind of my go-to outfit in the winter time. I have a nice top coat. I mean, that's pretty dressy, but it's not a suit coat. And I think that is a statement about Portland. I do think in some other cities, Portland is a little bit less casual than probably like a New York or LA, but it's definitely more casual than other places. Cause I've been to bend in our office there and even wearing that is excessive. They're very frequently in jeans and t-shirts. I think a good rule of thumb, and I remember this from, gosh, from high school when they're teaching you how to interview at jobs. One thing they always said was, whatever you're interviewing for, dress one degree higher than that. So if you're interviewing for a job where you'd wear jeans and a t-shirt every day, don't wear a three-piece suit, but maybe wear, you know khakis and a, a button-up shirt. If you're interviewing for a job where you'd every day wear khakis and a button-up shirt, maybe then you're wearing a tie. And if you're interviewing for a, a job that where you wear a tie every day, then maybe you're wearing a three-piece suit. I think by skipping levels, you might come across distracting in the other direction. That said, I do wear suits to professional events almost every time. So when we have a company sales meeting, I'm very much wearing a suit to those. Or if there's, you know, industry events that are a little bit more dressy, I, I like wearing suits. And I liked what Tucker said. It, it, it's part of this question. It's, it's kind of a, there's no one and right answer to this question. And part of it has to do with what you're comfortable in and what you, what you like to wear. And, and I think, you know, there's not a wrong answer when, when those line up. I think for me, I just feel comfortable. I feel like I'm comfortably dressed up when I'm not wearing the tie and coat, but everything else. So 
Anything else? I think it's just what you're, what you're comfortable in. I mean, I, I was at a real estate conference this past weekend and spoke to almost a thousand people, and I did it in jeans and a black button-up shirt, right? So, you know, Absolutely. Just, it just depends. And if you know your stuff, you know your stuff. That's kind of what I've concluded. But as Joe said, some people want a guy, right, that fills a certain, you know, I guess, void or just looks a certain way. And it's your job to kind of read who that guy, you know, who that client is. So I think that it, it probably, it, it ebbs and flows and it changes for every client, depending on who you are. Yep. Cool. Let's move on to the next one, guys. This was posted by Joe, our one and only that's on with us. It was about price increases. When you have a new listing that gets multiple offers and goes substantially over asking price, does it make sense to change the price in RMLS to reflect a price equal to or greater to the offer accepted? Appraisers, does this make any difference? Joe, what did you what did you learn from that post? Well, first I'll tell you why I posted it. Number one, I always try and create some engaging posts so people can talk about it. And a lot of times people are all on the same page, kind of like this one. Sometimes people disagree and you get to see a different perspective. The second reason was, you know, it is getting hard to price houses. We were fast and furious. We kind of took a dip from October till like the end of March. And then you're putting stuff on the market, but the last six months are kind of like fake comps, right? Because that was the winter. And so I priced something at six. It went for 675 And Jesus, that much? <clears throat> yeah. And, uh, you know, I like to think I'm a pretty good student and I do my homework and pricing's my thing, but man, multiple offers and, and they were all close. So anyway, long story short, the question was about sort of like saving face, right? So imagine you're a cop and you pull over a guy <laughs> and you pull him over and say, hey, how much have you had to drink tonight? Yeah, I had a couple beers like over three hours. That's what, that's what they say. Well, now that cop is obligated to not let this person go. If the guy, if he lets him go and he drives and rams through a crosswalk full of children, he had knowledge that the guy has been drinking and he let him go. So I think for the record, if so they the say, answer have is you, always no, right? <laughs> no, <yeah. I> have. <laughs> if, they, if they say, have you been drinking? The question, the answer is no. <laughs> so what I wanted to know, is there a saving face for the appraisers? Right. It's like, man, he lists this thing at 600. Now it's 675. My hands are kind of tied. I need to see a 675 on that listing, even if it's adjusted. I thought it was a fair question. And uh, it was overwhelming that, look, we have a history there. Right. We're going to see what it went on the market for. And then we're going to see you artificially adjusted it after the fact. So it doesn't make a difference. And the fact that you're messing with it uh, probably will negatively impact you. So from the appraiser I heard from and the other brokers, it's like, just let it lie. It is what it is. And, uh, and it did appraise and I didn't do any adjusting. So I think that's going to be my, my plan of attack moving forward with a scenario that's a lot like that in the future interesting joe that you kind of recognize we had that kind of 
fake comp period we'll call it right where i mean me and steve were talking about it i think we we all talked about it we were like i don't know is this the beginning of the end in november you know and now here we are and it we're about to put one on the market tomorrow morning and you know it's been i know it'll fly pricing's a little aggressive based on the last three months worth of stuff but there's nothing really to compare it to and those that have sold were kind of november december ish stuff so we may have the same type of scenario that you do so it's interesting when you have that you're kind of butting up against in terms of trying to figure out pricing yeah yeah and joe um i just had one myself too it happens to us all. Absolutely. And just like you, I, I really look at the comps and I really, you know, I felt good about this one. This was a little bit lower priced one. It was over in Tigard, Southwest Portland, just, just at there behind 99's Fred Myers. I priced it at 389 and we, we landed in the 42025 range. And it's funny cause your, your, your post came out like right as that was happening. And I, I took it even a question further. So I took your question and I think the way you intended it was, okay, I put it on the market. I get it. I get a bunch of offers. We land on one. We accept it. Now we're in escrow. Do I change the price in the MLS for the appraiser? And that's a great question. And you just answered that. Let me take that one notch further. Let's say you you price it like in my situation at 389 when it was Friday, you get your first offer, then your second offer, and they're both in the 420s. Could you or should you go to the seller and go, hey, we underpriced your house. Here's an addendum. Let's change the price to 420 in the MLS officially so other people who are offering don't use that 389 price as the threshold over which they're going over. Does that make sense, guys? Yeah. And I don't know the answer to that either. It's kind of the same question, only I think in my scenario – you do it while you're still midstream negotiating offers or receiving offers and dealing with, with showings. I didn't do it, but it was an interesting thought to me for sure. It does happen though. And you know, it happens on both sides. Sometimes we did think you appraise we out, Steve. Did, did, did you have any issues with the appraisal or no? I don't think we've got it yet. I don't think okay. we have the appraisal back yet. On we'll knock one. on wood, but uh, yeah, hopefully you'll meet that guy out there and make sure he doesn't screw that one up. Right. <laughs> yeah, I will tell you what I did though. I was saying that to every agent we were talking to. As we were talking to the various agents giving us their offers and dialoguing with them, I was coming out just right out with it and I said, "You know what? I did my darndest to comp this one out. I thought I had the price right, but I'm telling you there's a bunch of you all in that same proximity. So I I think I was inadvertently low on this one." I kind of was verbally putting that out there just so because and I wanted them to convey that to their people because there are certain buyers that just have a mental block about going over asking price or going over so much over asking price. And you don't want that to hurt you in these situations. So it was a great question, Joe. And um, I thought you got some great dialogue on this one. And, and I agree. The history is the history. I mean, if anyone's not going to be fooled by the history, it's not going to be the appraiser, right? I do think it can be helpful to give the appraiser some behind the scenes info. And I'm guessing you probably did that, Joe, where you kind of talked with the appraiser, said, you know, we ended up with X amount of offers. And I kind of, uh, I think I, I missed it on this one, blah, blah, blah. Did you do that? Yeah. You know, I always ask. So appraisers have two uh, thoughts of their own 
do I accompany them and do I provide them with comps? And the and there's a lot of them that say, hey, this guy's here to steer me and fill me up full of all the reasons why it's worth what it's worth. All the comps are going to be jaded to the minimum comp you have is going to be at least or greater than this the house you're trying to sell. And so, and it probably doesn't meet any of their criteria anyway. So in this case, I did not meet them out there and I didn't provide uh, comps. But one thing you mess, uh, said earlier about being forthcoming about, hey, I think I missed the boat on this one. I think that's important because other brokers sort of get pissed off when it's like, what's this guy doing listing this house 50, 75, 100 grand too low. I mean, other brokers kind of get mad at that whole game to sandbag offers. And if you're saying, hey, I I was doing my math, we had a little funky period there and, and the recent comps kind of support this, and but the market today supports something else. I think it's good for other brokers to know that you're not just playing king of the hill, let's underprice it, sit back for four days and rake in 12 offers. So I think it was good that you did that. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Let's go into the next one, guys. Um, this one was posted April 15th at 3.37 p.m. Home energy score. City of Portland, Tucker, your favorite subject. Home energy oh, score yes. done by City of Portland. Just my opinion, really just a hoop to jump through that is costing sellers money for no beneficial reason. I like to follow rules, but I'm tired of this one. Has anyone sellers received a fine for not getting one? I'll jump in. No, I have not received a fine. And I, have, <laughs> I haven't found any of our buyers give two shits about the home energy score. So I think this was a, uh, I mean, I get where it's coming from, but I don't think anybody cares. So um, it's it's a bit of a pain in the butt, but there's been ones that we've sold like, as fixers, right? And we're hypothetically supposed to get a home energy score selling a house as a fixer. Um, and so we haven't done that. And uh, I'm probably going to get fine now that I'm admitting it, but you got to go find them there, wherever they were. <laughs> we didn't have them, but there's like a disconnect because you can actually list it. Uh, MLS will take it, right? But then you're supposed to have uh, an energy score, I believe, that you then put in there at some point. So I don't know. I think it's an unnecessary hoop. I didn't like it when they did it. I get where they're coming from, but I'm sure there's other people that are not doing them as well. I haven't been paying attention, but that's just my guess. What What have you been hearing, Steve? I just don't see buyers um, seeing it as a valuable representation of the property. Um, one uh, Charles Turner made a great comment here. I'm going to quote him. I mean, I'm just going to read it. He said, they had the chance to make the score mean something, but failed when they added square footage into it. Unless two homes are the exact same size, the score is worthless. Um, and, 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 and I think it may even go beyond that a little bit, but me, meaning that there are other variables, but yeah, I just, I haven't seen somebody get really excited or really turned down off on a score. Um, and I don't, and, and honestly, how you would know if they were, I just don't hear buyers asking about them. Um, I just don't hear much about it in general. What do you, what about you, Joe? Buyers have absolutely no idea. I mean, there's nothing on it for them even to sign and date an initial, you know? I think more than half the time, they never even saw the darn thing. Um, I think if they had more of a compliance uh, 
inspection. Like if this company comes up and swaps out all of your smoke detectors, puts a CO detector, straps your water heater, does all that stuff. I mean, that's a great I idea. Think, <laughs> I think that would be fabulous. But for what they do compared to what a, a professional home inspector does, I mean, I'd rather take that money and have the sellers like have all their windows professionally cleaned. I think it's totally bogus. I think Portland got way too political and the politicians are trying to dictate what happens with how you sell a house, how you close a house, what needs to be involved, what landlords can and can't do and tenants rights. And it's just politics needs to get the hell out of real estate because Portland is not a fabulous place to buy investments anymore. Uh, uh, or at least as strong as it was before our talking heads got involved. I will, I will say this. I was up in Seattle all weekend, as I mentioned, and all of my buddies up there were like, what the hell is wrong with Portland? And that's Seattle. <laughs> talking. Wow. Yeah. So that's uh, something. And they just jacked the excise tax up double in certain price points uh, over the weekend, too, which is a terrible thing. We can talk on another show. But, um, yeah, they, they're looking down at Portland like, oh, my God, what are they doing down there? Um, so, yeah, I think this is one where I get what they were trying to do, which is educate the home buyer. But it's really a worthless number because, as you mentioned or that, uh, that gentleman mentioned in your comments, the square footage kills you, you know? I mean, I had one that came in at a one fully renovated home. We renovated the whole damn house, but because it had double pane aluminum windows, they gave me a one. Like A cardboard box gets a zero. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, what? what is the worth of this thing, right? So Yeah, it, it's too low-end rate um, weighted, too low-end rated. Weighted, sorry. Meaning the scores really... From what I'm seeing, go from like one to five or six, um, and and it's really high, hard to hit the the higher end. So this it's such a narrow window that they don't mean that much. Um, I think that's part of the problem. One of the other posts on this thread said, "I do a lot of searches in Southeast, and 90% of them do not have a home energy score. Well, None of go. my clients have ever asked for them. So I mean, I think it is commonplace to not have them, and and they're not being policed um which is which is too bad too bad that it's not something that i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna have come up with a a, a regulation like this like have it mean something and, and and be valuable to 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 both parties the one who's paying for it and the one who's receiving it well if it's uh, any consolation i guess they don't have adequate support for policing it either so standard government procedure <laughs> yeah and and so. joe you're absolutely right it's just getting crazier and crazier in within the city of portland and my bigger fear cuz i don't I, I do probably 25% of my business portland and then the other 75% the burbs out here um, my bigger fear is that Oregon is following suit as a state, and and we're gonna we're gonna have people pulling out in droves, entirely out of our state if if these talking heads and political people don't realize that hey, landowners have rights too. They just because they have land and own a property does not mean they should be stripped of all their rights. My God. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Let's move on. Next one. This one, this one has a couple different um, ways we're going to look at it. So this was Sarah O'Reilly. She, on April 22nd, asked, do you think it would be weird to hold my own home open for an open house? 
Obviously, she's selling her own home. Part of me thinks I should ask someone else to do it. But then I think about all the benefits to being there, um, which, I, which I agree with, and I get that. Um, the, uh, and this is a great question, and I don't, I don't necessarily claim to know the answer. I've seen this done both ways, and, and it can work both ways, and I've seen it. It can probably get ugly both ways. Um, part of the greater question on this one, guys, that I wanted to address was just selling your own real estate. And I, I'm going to run with this one first, and then you guys can jump in. So early in my real estate career, I did a transaction. I was representing the buyer, and the the listing agent was the seller. And he was a nice guy. He was a younger guy, and we had fun with it. But I'm telling you, it was it was it was choppy. And here's, here's where, here's where, what I mean by this. So in my opinion, a lot of negotiations in real estate can be done under the guise, whether it's true or, or not that, Hey, my client is behind me and they're kind of a jerk. They're kind of a hard ass. I'm the, I'm the good cop here. I'm trying to make this deal work, but they're grinding on me and this is what they want. Right. And then, so what that does is it leaves a bridge open between the two realtors and, and, and they're, they're trying to bridge the gap of the negotiations while still trying to move their, their side forward. That really falls apart in my opinion, when you are talking on your own behalf. Um, in, in other words, you can't say that my client's the asshole cause now you're the client and you're the asshole. Um, so in in that transaction that I did early in my career, um, the the we, we we were we were in counter offers in negotiations, and we ended up doing the deal. By the way, and I go, okay, so here's what my client's thinking: they they get this, they get your counter offer, but they they notice this property sold for this, and based on you know a couple conditions with the house, they really think this is fair. We were at this point doing verbal negotiations. I said, so would you would five thousand under your counter work? And he's like, oh, 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 hang on. And he he kind of like stuttered, and he's like, okay, well, let me let me hang up and and and, uh, and get back to you. And I'm like, I just started laughing. I was like, oh, it's a little trickier when it's your own place, isn't it? And we ended up getting the deal done. But it it was an eye opener for me that that there is a reason um, that we have realtors involved. It's not just because you want somebody who's proficient and an expert at real estate, but it's also, it disconnects someone emotionally from the transaction. It also, um, it also puts a buffer in there with um, a way to, a, a way to hide feelings and thoughts and, and, um, so, so there is value in my opinion. What what we've done on my team, I, I personally have never sold a house since I've been in real estate. Um, so I haven't personally been in this situation, but I've had team members that have. And what we've done is we we put them in the we 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 we've listed it where I'm the main list, they're the co-list. All questions and inquiries would go to them, but when offers came down to negotiations, I would jump in and put be the buffer between them. Um when it comes to holding an open house, I don't know. I think maybe there's an argument that she knows the house and loves it and she could go. But maybe when it gets to that next level of serious negotiations, maybe she it's best to turn that over to someone else. What do you guys think? Joe, go ahead and run with it. I'm interested okay. in what you have to say. All right. Well, so I'm looking at um, some bigger issues. 
the real estate commissioner says uh, all of the complaints can be divided in in two big camps. One is size of house, size of lot. That's like 30%. But what makes up like 70, 80% is a broker wearing too many hats. I'm a listing agent and selling it. And I'm the, I'm the owner or I'm the owner and I'm bringing the buyer myself. The too many hats will get you in trouble. Um, and then it's kind of looked at as you're guilty until proven innocent. So I'd be very careful on that. The second thing is most insurance E&O policies have an exemption of a person listing their own home and selling it. And so you don't want to get yourself where you're not insured. And kind of like what you were saying, Steve, it's like, playing poker with, you know, five of your buddies and one of your buddy buddies doesn't know how to play and everybody folds, but you and your buddy and, and you lean over and say, well, what do you got? And he's like, oh, I got two nines. Is that good? And he's like, yeah, nines are pretty good. You should, you should bet. And then <laughs> you bet against them and then you flop over and say, well, see, I had jacks, so you lose. But, you know, if you had queens or kings or aces, you would have won. <laughs> <laughs> it's just you're just too close to it. So I'd recommend uh, stick someone else's face and name on that listing. Work it out however you want. They get something, nothing, a tiny referral fee. However you do it, but you should really isolate yourself from it. I think that's a smart way to go. I think it's I think it's I think it's smart for, on several fronts. Like you said, I mean from a from a risk management standpoint from uh you know procuring you know the the best outcome standpoint here's a here's a scenario for you Tucker maybe you could work on this one build, <laughs> build a house list it yourself and then double end it <laughs> we've done it uh, <laughs> i've also sold a house directly to one of the bigger agents in town without any agents in the middle so i don't know i've been on the other side of the fence here and done all the things that you're hypothetically not, you know, maybe should be weary of doing, but it should be said that I also know what I'm doing. Right. So yeah. I'm not, you know, we've been in business for a long time. We haven't screwed anybody over ever. Don't plan on it, you know, anytime soon. So, you know, we kind of operate above board and, you know, we have kind of standard protocols and procedures, whether we're, you know, selling directly or not. So I, you know, it depends on who you are. Some people like to kind of push the envelope a little bit, so to speak. Right. And, uh, or maybe just aren't great at negotiating and dealing with their own stuff. Maybe they get a little too emotional or sensitive. Right. Um, I'm kind of desensitized to real estate at this point. I mean, the market is what it is. The condition is what it is. The requests are either, uh, you know, warranted or absurd. They fall in one of the two categories. And, you know, I'm pretty reasonable about deciding which category they fall in. And that's just kind of how we do stuff. So I don't know. I think on the average, you're, you know, you're probably right, Joe, but I've done everything you guys say not to do. And, you know, it, it's all right, too. Well, to be fair, you weren't the actual agent, Tucker. I was, I was, I was teasing you there. No, no, but I you, mean, your I, company does. You, you yeah. own the company, and your and your real estate company does. But there is a there is an agent there that that yeah. kind of gives you a little bit of separation. So you are you, you are but, different. But there has been times where that's been stripped out of there too. So you know, it just it depends. But yeah, generally, I'll have 
you know, Chris is our agent. He's in the middle, kind of in between. But, you know, I'm still very closely tied in. But um, I think a lot of people just need that extra buffer of space emotionally from the transaction because I think a lot of people just they just don't do well with high stress, you know, stuff that has to do with their own. And so it, it just gives them a little extra space to cool down before deciding on anything. So overall, I think that, you know, Joe's suggestion is a good one. Yeah. And and again, just to reiterate, um, a good happy medium, because because the devil's advocate, the, the other side of uh, of this group, and if you look through the thread, the other side of this argument is, well, wait a minute, this is my house. I bought it. I love it. I know everything about it. I'm the most excited about it. I could sell this better than anyone else. And there is some value to that. I get that. So a good safe medium, if you want to play it that way, is to kind of be involved, have a co-list that is that is 100% separate from this. Be involved in some of the light, softer touches, some of the, the, the light conversations. But then when money starts getting involved and repair negotiations start getting involved, exit stage left and let that other person do, do it all. You will benefit yourself. You'll keep yourself out of trouble. It's better for risk management. And it's a good way to kind of accomplish both objectives. Cool? Okay. The next one. Um, this one's long <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm going to summarize it cause it was really, really long. Um, it was by Jessica lamb on April 27th. So actually just a couple days ago, I'm going to summarize it by saying that she has been spending 18 months with someone who's reached out repeatedly about selling their house, had her jump through a bunch of hoops, then told her that she did, they didn't really need to sell then came, brought her back and did it again. Then said, "Well, I want to be priced higher than the than the other highest comps." Pointed out homes that were much nicer, and but but she wanted to be listed higher than those. And she she would she would cool off and then come back, cool off, then come back. Um, and this person was frustrated in their experience. So I think the greater question here is just talking about when is it. When do you know that you should not work with a client, that you should basically, to put it simply, fire a client? And because um, I've had some experiences recently where, 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 where we've had clients challenging like this, but we do end up getting them to the finish line. So, um, Joe, what's your take on that? You know, it, it was lots of paragraphs, so I didn't read it. But uh, <laughs> in short... Um, it sounds like this person's a pain in the ass and it's, and it's up to her to determine if she wants to walk, uh, work with these people. I have a rule. I have a couple rules, uh, for real estate. One is life's too short to own crappy real estate. The second thing is life's too short to work for someone who you don't like. And when I talk to my, my clients, I need to be convinced that, uh, they can learn that, that they can listen. And, you know, we kind of have a funny conversation. I say, Hey, look, I have lots and lots of advice to give you. And, uh, you know, you're not going to listen to any of it, but if you're going to listen to just one thing, listen to this, take all my goddamn advice. <laughs> <laughs> so if someone says, look, I want to price my house 10% higher and there's no chance of reducing whatsoever. I mean, I don't want to be your next realtor. I want to be your last one, right? 
let someone beat their head against the wall, spend hours and dollars and sweat and blood, and and six months later, you know, I can come in with an I told you so, and they can list it for what I told them from day one. Who knows? Sometimes those things sell. Sometimes the learning curve happens during the listing. But if I look at six months' time of trying to reduce something 10% to make it sellable with someone who's wishy-washy and always calling and henpecking me and being a helicopter client, it's like, look, there's a lot of real estate out there. Go hire someone who you can mold like Play-Doh. Um, I'm not that guy. So the gist of it from from her paragraph, it sounds like these people were horrible and she needs to get away from chasing dollars to uh, thinking more about what her time's worth and her her, you know, mental sanity is worth because she could very well dump six months into these people, money spent, time spent, mental properties spent. And have the same thing as if she didn't touch it whatsoever. So that's probably the better route to go. But only Jessica can answer that for herself. <clears throat> Absolutely agree. This is always a personal question. What one agent is willing to work with it can be very different from what another is. is, And that can be partly personality. That can be partly, partly level of business, how much business you have. It could be seasonal. What what. I might be willing to do in November might be different than in March or April. Um, I, I came up with a few things as we were sitting here. Cause I think what I was trying to get to with this question is like, what are the red lines that a client, if they cross this, I'm done. Right. And it's not, it's not that they, you know, necessarily change their mind. My gosh, I've got a client in escrow. He's got a beautiful house on Hidalgo that's pending sale around 800,000. He just closed on a 750 house in, in Portland. Um, so I mean a million and a half in real estate and that guy, that guy frustrated me to no end. He changed his mind several times. He, you know, we, we, we put up with a lot we, I, I, at one point I remember saying to myself, you know what, I'm not going to follow up with him anymore. If he comes back and calls me, wants to do something, I'll help him. Cause I wasn't firing him, but I was just like, so frustrated with the third, you know, the third offer that we went into S or the third offer that we went into negotiations on and we just couldn't get it done. And he wasn't being reasonable. That said, I have been known to do that, by the way, that is, that is something that sometimes I'll do with a client is, is where I just say, you know what, I'm taking you off my radar. I'm not going to call you anymore. If you call me great, if you don't, I'm probably better off. And I did that with him and I ended up getting a, a two closings out of it. And when he did call me and he did get to the finish line. So I guess part of what I'm saying is we, you know, I don't know if I necessarily agree with you on one thing, Joe, and, and we usually agree on almost everything. I don't know that I believe I have to like every one of my clients. Um, I just don't know that I like that many people. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's more than that. And I, it's, it's, and I want to do a lot of business. <laughs> um, I, specifically, I, <laughs> specifically, um, I have to like them specifically. I have to think they are teachable, right? And specifically, and this is a non-starter, they have to be ethical. If they're not ethical, there's no more story after that, but after knowing that they're ethical and honest and, and filling stuff out, 
they got to listen to me. I mean, someone's not going to go to a doctor for a quadruple bypass and say, okay, doc, so you got to clamp this right here and then you got to do this over here. No, you're going to let the professional take over. And there's too many people who are thinking about the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and how they benefit from it and not thinking about reality, right? I don't care what you need, what you want, how much you have into it. You're going to Seattle, the cost of living, Seattle's more. I want to get an RV. I want to retire. I don't care. The market doesn't care. Market value is market value. And if someone doesn't want to listen to you, that's the start of a terrible business relationship. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So if, they, so if they're teachable and I don't like them a whole lot, yeah. um, I'll still take it on. If I Absolutely. hate them, Absolutely. they're off the, voted off the island. Yep. Yep. And I'm with you there. I'm with you there. I mean, there needs to be a good, it needs to be a good fit. That doesn't always necessarily mean you like them is probably our clarification there. Right. Um, so here's the three red lines I came up with. If they lie to you, blatantly flat out lie to you, which I think plays well to your ethical. I would put those in the same bucket. Like being unethical would be lying. Right. Or, and, and I would, I would add, so if they're unethical or lie to you, that would be one red line. If they cross that, then I'm done with them. If they show a clear and clear and um, unavoidable sign of no motivation, every once in a while, and I've got a seller like this right now that I think is not going to have a happy ending. Um, he seven hundred fifty craft style though, right? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not on a video that's that's going to be released in Florida. <laughs> um, he's he's got a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar acreage property out in Deep Beaverton, and we were five thousand apart on negotiations on an offer, and um, and he just he just he just made it clear. He said, "I don't really have to sell right now," and. And uh, I, I could hang on to this for five more years and went on this like tear about that. And I, it, I was kind of seeing that. I was like, you know what? This is this is not a good seller. This isn't somebody that I'm going to get to the finish line with. And I probably need to start, you know, circling my wagons and, and protecting my time and investments. So that's something. So and that can happen on the buy side, too. Right. It, sometimes you're working with a buyer and they just become clear that. Uh, unmistakably clear that there's no motivation and um, that can be a, a red line. And then of course the last one is if they're rude or, un, or you know, if they're, if they're over the top rude or um, treat you poorly, then that can be a, a, a non-starter and, and some, some, a, a, a reason to part ways with a client. Um, have you, here's a, here's another cool thing I'll throw out. We've even had clients who who did one of those three things that were buyers. And what we've talked about as a team is we said, let's slowly turn down their search. Because sometimes in these situations, you'll have a client. And by the way, I don't necessarily think it's always best to fire a client by saying, hey, you're fired. You know, Donald Trump uh, apprentice style. Um, you're I fired. Think it, I think it can be it can be very valuable to to quietly fire a client um, and, ghost them. and ghost them or, and, 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 and what we've done with some buyers in the past is we'll slowly turn down their search. Like we'll slowly phase out their communication with us. So if they're on an instant search where they're getting every house that hits the market that matches them, we'll turn that to daily for like a few days and then 
um, or a week or so, and then we'll turn it to weekly and then we'll just turn it off. So we kind of quietly just disappear and all communication stops. Um, and I just think, because I, I, I worry a lot about if you were to fire a client and get real co- combative with them, that they, they come back at you with a, a negative review or something like that. So anyways, what's any thoughts on that, Tucker? Uh, I'll sum it up with this. I, you know, I've been broke in this business and I've been not broke. And the broker I was, the more I'd put up with bullshit, put it that way. So as you get more successful and you put a few more bucks in your bank account, the less bullshit you put up with. And when you have a fair bit of money in your bank account, you read something like this and you say, you fired, you know? That's and, right. Uh, if you need Having that, that, that lump of money, there's a term for it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'll leave it off this show, but yeah, yes, I know what you're talking about. Is there a term for that? <laughs> okay. I think, starts, I think it starts with F and it ends with U, but, uh, <laughs> and, and, but yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, I get where people are coming from because they get scared, right? They, they're trying to, you know, wring every dollar they can out of every relationship that they can that might be a commission. But at a certain point, you know, you just got to have a little bit of self-respect and just say these people are just the juice is not worth the squeeze, right? So, yeah. yeah. But the other side of that, and and then we'll move on, is we are professionals. We're 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 doing a professional service, and um, it you know back to your analogy, Joe. I mean, you know, doctors don't necessarily, you know, I mean, we're not we're not in the business of making friends. I guess is what I'm saying, and and I I think it would be problematic mindset for a realtor, especially you know a a, a driven realtor that that with aspirations and goals to, you know, not just a, a la-di-da realtor, um, to say that I'm going to be best friends with every client. And by golly, if, if we don't hit, if we don't hit it off and love each other, then, then it's not going to work. I mean, that doesn't work in most businesses and, and, you know, but you can go too far either way. So last topic guys, and this one's kind of a fun one and we'll, we'll, um, end with it. This was posted April 26th. Um, it says here, let's pretend that you have a listing that has good curb appeal and the neighbor's yard is unkept. Would you slash have you ever send sent a yard person over there and pay to have it mowed and cleaned up a bit? Let me add, and this part's where it gets a little funny to, in my opinion. Let me add that the yard guy can do it right now and the owner isn't home. <laughs> oh um, Tucker, I think you've talked about this in the past. I know you've done this. Um, so talk to us about doing it in general and then talk to us about doing it without their permission. <laughs> I would never do it without their permission because that's uh, – <laughs> That could just get all kinds of ugly. Um, even though you're doing a good deed, you, you might, who knows, you mow their lawn, you somehow scuffed their sidewalk that they were obviously not super partial to until you mowed their lawn, and now they're upset about the scrape that the lawnmower blade made on the edge of their walkway or their sidewalk. I just, I wouldn't do it without their permission. But with that said, I have done it many a times with permission and, um, you know, it's pretty easy to walk over and have just a nice, pleasant conversation with somebody and get them to agree to let you fix up their house. Um, you know, my success rate has been pretty high with that and I've done it with some pretty big looney tunes (laughs) as well. So, 
Uh, we even went as far as, uh, you know, taking a big pile of uh, junk out of their front and side yard for them uh, just to kind of help the curb appeal of our house next door because it made sense to do so. But um, I would always ask. I definitely wouldn't just do it because uh, that could get you in some deep, deep doo-doo. Yeah. Um, there was a secondary thought process here. And by the way, I, I agree with you, Tucker. It's, it's, it's a, I think it's a great thing to do. You never, ever do it without permission. And, and the word used a lot in this thread was trespassing. That is trespassing. And um, you, you open yourself up to just incredible risk. There was another thought here, and this is part of the reason why I, I selected this question. It wasn't just about the original question, but speak to this, guys. If I have the buyer, I wouldn't be happy to find out later after the fact that the owners of that home don't take care of their yard and ha and you had been paying someone kind of false advertising. And there was a couple other posts that agreed with that. Do you guys see it that way? I mean, I get what they're saying. Um, but you know, there's other tells that you got an uncle Eddie next door other than just a little bit of tall grass. <laughs> so, you know, let's pull our heads out of our, you know what, and pay attention to the blue tarps and the busted down motorhomes and the drift boat that hasn't moved since 1982. Uh, you know, there, there are other factors that might contribute to somebody maybe not being so prompt about mowing their yard. Um, so I don't totally agree with that, but I don't know, Joe, what do you think? Well, if you look at one's house the, the day you talk to them and then you look at it three months later when they got a pod and got rid of one third of all their stuff and they painted and got new carpet and did all this other stuff, it's no different. I mean, the seller is presenting their house in its best light. Um, so if you have a neighbor that has a tree that needs to be trimmed to improve your view, or a neighbor that has kind of a creeper van that needs to be moved or junk or the landscaped. I mean, definitely do it. It, it, it matters. You know, mm -hmm. you have a neighbor that's close to you. It's going to affect your quality of life. And so if there's one guy that's, you know, cousin Eddie, you got to like give him a, a shave and a haircut at least uh, until your place sells and then all bets <laughs> are off. <laughs> Yeah, you yeah. know, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I mean, and who knows, you know, maybe they might like what they look like with a shave and a haircut, right? Keep going. <laughs> yeah. There was another post here that said, if you bought a used car with the impression it was mechanically sound, but if, um, but a month later found out the seller made a few temporary adjustments to just get by for the sale, would you be okay with that? This seems like a false representation and an unethical business practice. Um I don't agree with that. Um, here's the thing about real estate. Everything, if you really think about it, everything around you is temporary, right? I mean, you could buy a house and have the best neighbor in the world and then they sell six months later and vice versa. Um, so I think it is, it, is a, it is a gray area. It's a complicated question and I but it, but and I don't know that it has 100% a, a, you know, a, a black and white answer, but... I, I think you you are allowed to create the best representation um, for that property um, and its vicinity um, as long as long as you don't cross some 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 serious you know lines and and th those pertain usually to to marketing you know taking out <laughs> airbrushing out the 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 uh, 
um, power lines in the back or, you know, other that that would be more false advertising. But I mean, there's a lot of reasons why people are bad neighbors. Long grass is, you know, one of what could be a very long list. I mean, you know, they couldn't live next door to me and hear me yelling at my kids all the time and think that I'm just nuts. You know, <laughs> that might be that might constitute being a bad neighbor or maybe they've got a teenage kid with a bunch of friends that like to huddle on the side of the house and smoke cigarettes and, you know, wafts into your house or maybe they love their new, you know, base filled uh, system that they blast till, you know, midnight every night. And I mean, there's a million other reasons why you hate your neighbors or, you know, you may not recognize it right away. And then you move in and you're like, I don't know if I care for these people that much, you know? So I think a little bit of mowed grass is probably the least, uh, you know, I put up with a little bit of taller grass over, you know, a lot of other stuff any day of the week. Didn't you, didn't you on one of these shows, Tucker, law about the idea of having an, an inspection of the neighbors? I, I mean, yeah, I, I would. I I I like to see who's uh, all around. But we do for you know on the buy side, we're like, all right, who's an attorney? Who's this? Who's that? You know, we like to find out who we're who we're dealing with on the block and who's going to be a pain in the butt. But um, yeah, you know, if I'm buying for myself, I, I look pretty intently at who I'm moving in next door to and, you know, what their living habits are as much as you can tell. Anyway, I'm not like peeking in their windows or anything like that, but you know, you live next to people. We've all had good neighbors and we've all had really bad neighbors, you know, and tall grass is, you know, I like to p- people to maintain their stuff, but that's not at the top of my list. I would say having had some bad neighbors in the past. Joe, have you ever had a client, a buyer client knock on the neighbor's doors to meet them all? Um, yeah, that's where you get the best information. Not yeah. only uh, about the place they're interested in. Hey, tell me about these people and what do you know about this house? Mm. And you also kind of get to gauge who your future neighbor might be. Um, and I think it's relevant. I mean, uh, in a month or two, I'm going to be an empty nester. So I'm going to downsize uh, quite a bit. And I've dealt with bad neighbors in the past, or illegal airbnbs and all kinds of stuff and loud people and i just i definitely want to know if i have cell service at the new house and what my neighbors are like so who knows i could be the bad egg in the neighborhood (laughs) you know one time when i was younger and i was the bad egg but this uh one christmas we had a party like after christmas we went down to the gemini steve which you're probably very oh yeah oh yeah the good old gemini and i thought it was a great idea i was like party at my house after the gemini closed down right and this was uh my old house on south shore and um Tucker, was this back when the Ram was in Lake Oswego and yeah. everyone would go there and then the Gemini afterwards? Yeah, and yep. uh, my roommate brought back about as many people as I did from another bar. And uh, anyway, we went all night long and there's this boom, boom, boom on the door at like 7 a.m. the next morning. And my bedroom was like the loft bedroom upstairs. And I was like, screw that. I'm not getting that door. But my roommate lived on the main floor, so he went and got it and it was the poor couple up the street. They came down. They were like, you ruined our Christmas being loud. And so anyway, <laughs> yeah, I, I've gotten karma for being that neighbor for many years now. But uh, yeah, so, you know, you don't want a guy like me then <laughs> that you're moving in next to. I, I think it's something that is actually a really good idea. If I was personally buying like you, Joe, I would do it during the inspection process when you still have your outs. And, um, and I don't, you know, it would take a lot for, if you really love the house and you're not seeing anything visibly wrong around you, it would really take a lot 
to, to, to shake you, but it can be, it can be done in such a warm fashion. It doesn't have to be under the guise of, Hey, I've got my magnifying glass and I'm checking out the neighbors to make sure no one's weird, but it can just be like, Hey, we're in escrow on the house next door. Just wanted to, just wanted to introduce ourselves. You know, we've got kids or we've got dogs or, you know, here's a little bit about us, you know, and just to, just to take it in, I've had clients do it. And I think it's a really, really smart idea. I thought at one point, Tucker, you, you, um, suggested on this podcast that there be a business that does that automatically. Should be. It's a good yeah, idea. But I don't know if that's the best way to do it. If it, 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 it kind of comes across better for the, uh, the, the clients themselves, but vetyourneighbor.com. There you go. <laughs> that's right. But based, based on the last question, how do you know it's just not the listing agent paying for models to walk around the neighborhood <laughs> posing as neighbors <laughs> with their perfect family? And <laughs> that, Now, see, that might be like that guy that said the car analogy. I, I'll agree with him there if, if it went that far. Otherwise, I don't, I don't think that'll apply. <laughs> awesome. So. Hey, guys, we're done. We're wrapping up. Joe, you've got a couple masters in real estate events coming up. You just want to um, yeah, I'll just, those? I'll just tell you about them. You can look them up. Um, so I have the Think Bigger Real Estate Show tomorrow at 845 Live, which this podcast won't be out by then, but it will be on Facebook forever. Um, I have uh, learned from the best a real estate roundtable May second Thursday um, with an all star all star group of people, um, and then we have uh, Masters in Real Estate Forum uh, May 9th. and it's uh, myself, Debbie Lau, uh, Amy Savage, Terry Sprague. Heather Robbins. I mean, I only agreed to sit on the paddle panel just so I could be close to those guys. <laughs> so <clears throat> that should be good too. And it's also uh, uh, a charity for uh, uh, the music uh, youth music pro project in West Lynn. So we raise money and give us all give everyone all of our knowledge. So that's a panel. It's in Westland. What's the venue in Westland that holds all these people? at the youth music project uh, building right there on 10th street exit. So oh. the, the real estate roundtable and the masters of real estate forum are both in masters. They're both promoted in masters and you have the who, what, where, when, why. Awesome. There. There you go. Good, good stuff. Good, good community. Um, people making each other sharper. It's the, it's the uh, driving force behind your group. Joe. And, uh, so thank you for providing that. Yep. And those opportunities. Yeah. Awesome. Well, great, great show guys. Joe, thanks for joining us as always. You got a busy social calendar. We're going to have to book you out way in advance these days. You're hey, a man, guy. I want to be on the hundredth podcast show. That's our, you next should be, you should be. Of, yeah. Yes. I think, I think we just hit 95. So we'll, we'll earmark, uh, 100 for Joe. Anyway, all right, episode 95, this is it. We're wrapping up. We'll see you guys on the next one. Thanks again for listening to our show, and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.